Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Driver's Meeting Podcast, presented by Bet Online. It is playoff time for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Today was media day, and that was a lot of fun. We'll get on that later, as well as the Watkins Glen weekend. But all in all, welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. Glad to have you listening in. Another great episode ahead. We're going to preview a lot of things, but of course, we have to give our thanks to our great, wonderful sponsor, Bet Online. And whether it's during live bets, during games, futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So make sure to visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head over on to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And also, Another another great thanks to our secondary sponsor, Balance 7, who just hopped on board in the last week. You may have heard him. The cool thing is we have a promotion running with Balance 7 right now here on the Believe Podcasting Network, where if you go to their website, balance7.com, and use the code Believe at checkout, you'll receive a free four-ounce bottle of My Smooth Skin with any purchase of Balance 7 products. That product retails at $13.99, so I'd say it's worth it. It helps Lamar Odom out, and it may help you too. Again, head to balance7.com. Use the believe at code checkouts to get on the promotion. I know it will work for you. Again, that code is believe, B-L-E-A-V. So we'll start with talking about Watkins Glen this weekend. And obviously the topic of conversation after the cup race was curbs, 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 turtles, barriers, whatever you want to call it. I know you came in last week and had said, um, you know, when you were in the meeting, you were like, oh, well, NASCAR's putting the turtles down <laughs> this weekend, they told us. So I like initially, I didn't know, like I didn't, I was trying to think of where they would be. Um, you know, usually when we've had the turtles, I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Usually they're on like the inside of corners, you know, so you don't cut uh, on the inside. This time it was on the runoff area, which I thought was very strange when I saw it at first. And I know nobody thought it was an issue in practice qualifying because, you know, nobody's really going out there. They're single file, you know, they know how to avoid it. But on a double file restart in NASCAR on a road course, uh, everybody's going to use every part of the racetrack. And I could kind of see why that would happen. I didn't know why it was placed there. Um, And especially with Watkins Glen being the previous race where you can run off really wherever you want. It was kind of odd that they, you know, this week it was like, okay, now we're going to start to enforce, uh, I guess you would say track limits. Although in NASCAR, it's like physical track limits. It's not, you know, people telling you, all right, you're being given a time penalty or 
pass through, uh, you know, it's just, we're going to beat up your car, uh, if you <laughs> extend over the track limit. So we, we had about, yeah, that first lap, um, at least four or five cars that went over it, uh, went flying big rat caution first lap. Uh, but they, they do make the right decision that I felt like to take it away for the cup race. Uh, but then we had a whole nother issue in the cup race just at the end. We were almost there. It was a solid race. In my opinion, I was really enjoying it. Uh, lots of action throughout the field. Um, then the curb explodes. Uh, so that was very unfortunate. They take the curb out. I don't know why they left the other one there. Cause I felt like that was just another issue. And then we had a second caution and all that. All heck broke loose. AJ Allmendinger won the race uh, for colleague racing, part-time car, you know, who obviously is a top name when you think of road course racing, but not when you thought of uh, yesterday's race. Uh, you thought of Kyle Larson dominating the race. You thought of Chase Briscoe, Heartbreaker. I was up front all day. Denny Hamlin was in position to win his first race. Uh, lots of drama. Those final five laps, which took probably about an hour and a half, I think, those final five laps uh, to get through. So, um, kind of given my thought here i want to know what your initial thoughts were tommy joe watching that race uh with that final you know laps felt like an eternity i mean it felt like a mess uh, just like everybody has uh, has said it, it felt like a complete mess um let's go to the initial cause right which was the decision to put the curbing uh up really on the outside part of the track that was really the first mistake there uh, on the runoff area um exit of turn five six five yeah, six six exit turn six um yeah uh, initially last week i went yeah somebody's gonna go flying right there i mean i i said that in the in the beginning the crazier part is that they were actually going to put more curbs there it was going to be four curbs, not just one. And they talked to the drivers and the drivers went, no. And they went, okay, we'll, we'll just do one then. And it's like, well, should we be doing any? Uh, that was obviously going to be a very high speed part of the track. And it reminds me of a crash like we saw at Monza uh, a few years ago when uh, Formula 2 car, or it was maybe Formula 3, was running the outside of the parabolica and hit turtles that were put on the outside of the parabolica. And they said, well, we don't want them using this extra road. We're going to put turtles. Well, just penalize me. Don't make the penalty my car flying through the air. Like, that's just make it flat and then just penalize me if I run over it, right? I think that is a more effective version of this, which is what I've said all along with the turtles. And uh, that curbing on the inside part, of what would have been turn five, I believe. Um, obviously, it became a big factor as well. Uh, that one strip that was well to the inside, uh, it basically ruined any bailout area going through that chicane. If you tried to bail out uh, going through the chicane, you were going to hit an even bigger bump th than the curb. And then obviously, the curb getting damaged. Look, I, th I think that's low-hanging fruit for everybody right now. Everybody's making fun of IMS I don't know what they can do besides have a curb in place that has been perfectly fine on every other type of racing they've ever run there. Um, all the like couch sitting engineers are like, oh, well, these are heavier cars. Like, yeah, they know. Okay. We, we all know. I didn't think that curb was really going to be a problem. Uh, and really the positioning of it, 
isn't a problem. I mean, you shouldn't go through there too wide. I did. I paid a penalty getting launched into the air, going through there too wide and, and damaging the front end of my car. That wasn't the curbs problem. Now, does it really need to be a curb? Could it be flatter through there? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it probably could be. But I didn't see that as an issue. That curb on the outside part on the runoff area, yeah, I saw that as a big issue. Um, and the fact that they removed it following my race in the Xfinity series speaks to just how bad an idea it was. And the whole point of that was to keep cars from running into that excess asphalt. They said that we were damaging the asphalt. That was the that was the reasoning. And it was like, uh, okay, well, what about damaging the first eight cars that ran through here? <laughs> Um, on a restart, and we, and we hurt multiple cars uh, over the course of the day going over that curb. So that was the mistake to me. The curb peeling up late in the race, that I mean, it was just crazy, right? And then obviously, we wind up having the um, either a lack of communication or whatever winds up happening with Chase Briscoe there at the end of the race where he goes, kind of cuts the course feels like he shouldn't have got a penalty, feels like he's racing for the win, winds up spinning out the leader while he's under penalty. Um, and all of that just seemed so haphazard. Like it, it was, we were nobody was even sure what was going on um, in that case. <laughs> so it felt like the audience was the last one to know. Um, it, it's hard to say. Uh, when, when you're not in the room, when you're not in uh, the NASCAR um, officiating room, when this is going on, when you're not in race control, I don't know when these calls are being made, right? Uh, it seems as though it has become a weekly discussion of race control where the initial decision to throw the caution for debris that was kind of out of the way. And eventually we wind up having a, a shit show at the end of the race. Now, is that race control's fault? No, but but it is a decision that was made. Um, and it feels like a lot of these wind up going the wrong way over the course of this year. And it seems like there's a consistency that is missing from some of those calls, as we have said over and over again on the podcast. If Scott Miller is talking to everybody after a race, that's not good. If we have Scott Miller all over Twitter answering reporters' questions about the quality of the race and officiating and the track coming apart, the fact that this has happened even once at the highest level of the sport this year, much less like the six or seven times that this has happened uh, over the course of a year, where basically there has been some sort of officiating or track problem like we think back to the bristol dirt race visibility there we think about the rain call at coda to keep racing there and and how dangerous that was and how messed up that got uh, we think about the truck race at knoxville them, them throwing a, a checkered flag <laughs> before the checkered was supposed to come out and we, we start going down the list of these things and really the whole knoxville race in general and the way that that played out and you go down the list here and you're like, okay, the problem seems to be, at least this is me now speaking as car owner, Tommy Joe Martins. 
there's nothing at stake here. And Denny Hamlin pointed this out on Twitter, right? For NASCAR, for these tracks, they make these decisions and there is nothing at stake. There's nothing that they are risking when these decisions get made. So they just go, ah, we'll get better. Ah, we'll learn from this. We'll get better. And I'm paraphrasing Denny Hamlin here, right? This is not my own words. Now let me use my own words. <laughs> I agree with Denny Hamlin that it seems like the people that are making these calls for the racetracks, they are, they're operating with like a level of impunity here where it's like, we're just going to throw some stuff at the wall. And if it sticks, great. And if not, and they wreck all the cars, well, we're not paying for it. And of course, they would tell you to your face, well, we don't want you guys to wreck all these cars. Well, you keep putting us in positions where we're, we're going to wreck all the cars. <laughs> so if you tell us you don't want that, but then you continually put us in a position where we're doing it, it seems like you do want it. And I would, sh I would I'm sure all the TV executives at Indianapolis uh, or at, at NBC would tell you that the Indianapolis race this year was a much better race when it came to engagement on Twitter and fans that tuned in and, and tuned back in. And, and now the storylines after the race and rivalries and Briscoe and Hamlin and uh, all the controversy and all this. And people are like, man, sold a lot of tickets. We'll sell more next year. Well, that's great, except the people that we're hurting are the teams here. Like, they're the only ones that are getting hurt in all this. And it's like there's no backup there. And that seems to be the issue with this time and time and time again, is that the stakes for the players here, and the players meaning NASCAR, the track owners, and the other version of this would be the teams and the drivers – those stakes are not even, and it feels like the, the teams, especially in the lower series, in Xfinity and trucks, wind up kind of being the guinea pigs for a lot of these situations. Yeah. Uh, one thing I kind of wanted to clear up, I know a lot of people are doing comparisons on social media and stuff like that because they see these races. We've had so many races this year. We've torn up so many cars, so many cars, trucks, um, and, and people compare it like, oh, like, you enjoyed Daytona and Talladega. Like, you know, what's the problem with this? Uh, the comparison that, that I'm would make to that is, you know, it could be uh, in the future, but we're not putting uh, little curbs on below the double yellow line at Daytona and Talladega, which, you know, they could do in the future. You never know. Sure. Uh, don't, don't pass below the double yellow. We're going to stick a, we're going to stick a curb there. So you don't, but you know, we don't have those things. Like when we look at these races where we have had, race control chaos bunch of wrecked cars it's really been because of the track something weather race control like we go to coda we're racing in a downpour of rain have a big wreck vision issues nobody can see the whole time a big wreck then they restart them again even after that and you have an even bigger one someone goes you know truex is on custer's hood then they finally stop the race bristol dirt is every time i just think of bristol dirt it's just bristol dirt i mean they people couldn't see. I mean, that was just, that was, that was a mess of its own for most of the events. Uh, New Hampshire racing in the rain, Knoxville, you know, was crazy. Yeah. When you go to Daytona and Talladega, um, you know, it, it's the same 
thing every week, really. If, if you have a wreck there, it's probably because a driver made a wrong move. Somebody gave someone a wrong push and there goes the field. I mean, it sucks because we tear up so many cars, but that's the reason why we only do it four times a year. Uh, well, look, those, really and, and, and honestly, here, RJ, when we start talking about wrecking cars at Daytona and Talladega, to sit here and get mad at the package is really stupid. Because we were wrecking a lot of cars at Daytona and Talladega for the last 20 years. All right. Like we've just been doing this. We've had big wrecks there forever now. So it's not just that, right? It's not just the package. Um, But it seems like, and and I'm now going to quote Jeff Gluck here, uh, which everybody that's listening to this podcast, thank you. I'll give you another recommendation. Uh, The Athletic podcast with Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi. Um, uh, I'm a listener to that every week, just about. Love Gluck. Um, and he was adamant on this week's podcast and, visible, and like just audibly frustrated with the NASCAR Cup Series after taking time and going and seeing the Knoxville Nationals. And it, and it seemed to be a version of like purity versus kind of the machinations of capitalism here and everybody relax. All right, I'm bringing this up in the sense that just NASCAR has been so popular now that we've monetized it in a lot of ways, right? But especially when it comes to the fan experience, buying tickets, merchandise, uh, concession stand prices, everything that has to go in, you know, pit passes, extra money for that. And um, the drivers are now more exclusive. They're excluded down in the infield and have an entourage around them the entire time. And he compared that to Knoxville with the accessibility of the drivers and the kind of the grassroots feel of it and how into it um, the crowd was for every heat and, and every driver. And it felt just very refreshing in a way <laughs> to, to Jeff. And I can get it how he then turns around and watches this Indianapolis race. And he goes, you know, Jimmy Johnson wanted to do something else other than this because it feels at times very manufactured. And we've talked about that seesaw of entertainment versus, uh, you know, pure racing and competition, right? Um, I would say that Formula One has generally leaned towards the competition side, right? Just kind of, they're doing the rules, go for it. Now with the F1 sprint race thing that they're doing this year, that, that was kind of a little bit of a departure from that, right? That's purely entertainment. We know why this is going on. feels like NASCAR has gone down the entertainment path for a really long time here. And we start talking about the rules packages and the calls that are being made and some of the events and venues that we're going to and trying here. Um, and now the rain racing and potentially Oh, we're going to do rain tires in Richmond and flatter ovals. And uh, all right, well, what are we doing? Or is this entertainment or are we, are we racing at the highest level? Like nobody, no other racing series is doing what we're doing. Right. And, and the crazier part to me, and I've said this on the pod a few times, it feels like we keep trying to do what other people are doing yeah. rather than just doing what we do really well. Like the world of outlaws isn't trying to run in the rain. They're not figuring that out. They just go, yeah, well, we don't do that. <laughs> right. And, and yeah, IMSA runs in the rain. That's great, but we don't have to be IMSA. We just have natural disadvantages in our cars to a lot of this. 
And I think that's what all of this kind of comes back to here to wrap up this Indianapolis thought here is this is just another example of over the course of this year, time and time again, it seems like we're putting teams and drivers in no-win situations. I love Doug Bowles, the president of IMS. I don't think the intent there was we're going to create a demo derby. All right. I really don't. And any fans that are saying that, that's silly. I think the curb on the exit of turn six was a dumb idea the whole time. And I will be upfront with that. I thought it was dumb the first time I saw it. And the fact that they left it there tore up six, 10 really good cars at the beginning of the Xfinity race. And then they removed it after that race. That's bad. All right. That looks bad. The cup thing was just a crazy, weird fluke of a thing, but it's just the latest in a line of comedically bad looking situations going on at the highest level of our sport. And I understand why Jeff Gluck would be so passionate about this idea that we're putting these great teams, these incredible drivers in situations that are goofy. We're We're not dealing with who's in the gas the most and who's the latest breaker and who's willing to lay it on the line. It's like, all right, well, here we go. The curb's coming up. <laughs> who's who's not going to hit it? It's like we're putting in a Hot Wheels jump in the middle of a race yeah. at the highest level of our sport. And we just cannot keep doing this because as a competitor, I feel like I have to be in this weird spot where Yeah, I can naturally criticize some of the decisions here that are made, just like everybody else can. But I also want to be a representer and a a defender of NASCAR. And just some of this stuff is really hard to defend when it's happening time and time again. Yeah, I'm actually excited. Uh, This is like the first time I've been decently excited for like a Michigan race in a while because it feels like it's like a normal race. I mean, these past four weeks of NASCAR with Knoxville, New Hampshire rain, Watkins Glen was pretty civilized, but now you have the Indy road course. I'm like, wow, Michigan might just, it might just be a normal race. I mean, <laughs> like that it, might just, it might just be racing. Uh, well, think awesome. about what we're doing now. So we're, we're going to put resin down at Michigan, not PJ one, but resin. So they are going to prep the track. And who are the first cars on the track? You guys. Us. Well, actually, I think it is. Or are they putting it? It depends oh, Arca, if they're putting it down Arca's after the Arca race. Arca's, Arca's, Sometimes they do that. They wait. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see the timing of this. But yeah. basically, it's still, we understand, all to just serve the greater show here. Yeah, you're just. Cup series. You just and by the way, that's not me complaining about it. <laughs> As I have pointed out before, we understand we are a support series for the biggest series that we have. Yes. Uh, that's fine. It is tough, though, when you're showing up. It's like we have our own race to run. We're running for a whole lot of stuff. And the idea that the track that I'm racing on is going to become this, like, variable element every single week that we go is weird. That's weird. It's like we're not racing on a dirt track. And and the thing is, those guys are understanding of mixed conditions at all times, right? Okay, the track's really wet. We can do this. Track's drying out. We'll do this. What do you do for a surface that has never been prepared like this? And what do you do from a setup standpoint? What's the first time a car rolls over there? And we got no practice. 
And it's just, <laughs> it, you put people in weird situations and then when weird stuff happens, you go, ah, well, we'll learn from that. It's like, well, maybe we shouldn't do that in the first place. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes too. Cause the resin, I, I liked it at first. Cause it, we used it in Nashville worked well. Um, but also the thing about Nashville is we had it in all weekend, you know, there was time where we, we, we practiced, it got worked in the truck race happened, got worked in and yes. it was pretty good for all three series. And, and that track got relentlessly prepared yeah. for a week or two leading up to it. They literally had the tire dragons, excuse me, going around that track for two weeks leading up and prepping the resin and NASCAR going out there testing it and more people prepping it and more tire dragon. And so there was a lot that went into that and it paid off. I felt like it was a really good racy surface at the same time here. We're doing it again in Michigan. Could this be the direction that we're going in away from PJ one over to the resin? I think you would hear all the drivers sit here and say, that's good. It's still a little weird because what I think all of us would prefer is just don't do anything. Nothing. Let's just run the track. Exactly. So I, I still don't understand why we're spending more money to do this. It, it seems like it's coming at the insistence of the tracks and NASCAR. And I think all of us are just a little confused as to the why. And I've had these discussions with other drivers and like when we went to Phoenix, it's like, well, you know, Phoenix actually put on a pretty good show. I felt like every time we were here, but now we've just been throwing PJ one at it for two years. Yeah. Texas, another example of a track, right? That they felt like they had to put PJ one on it because it was so one groove. So I actually understood the reasoning there on a new surface, why they would do it. But at the same time, we see what that's created to point to the, where now IndyCar can't even go to the track. So we're like damaging these tracks. And so we had to get away from that. The resin, we'll see what that does at Michigan. And we'll see what kind of racing surface we have when we get there on Saturday. Yeah. There's a few things on my mind that piss me off sometimes. <laughs> and, one, and one of one of them is, uh, you know, the resin. We worked in Nashville. PJ1 for sure. I've always dislike bj1 um but I, I just don't like when we get to the track and instead of talking about these tracks anymore we're talking about what we're putting on the track like <laughs> right. you're gonna hear non-stop this weekend that resin is on the racetrack uh, i know at nashville and nashville made sense because it was new and you know dale right. jr and the guys had to explain it and that was informational um but even we've been using pj1 for years and anytime we go to to phoenix to Texas. I mean, Texas, I'd put Texas in its own category. Texas is Texas. When we go to Phoenix, uh, even Bristol now, um, it's all they talk about is the PJ one, you know, how are the drivers going to attack this PJ one? Like, well, how about, how are the drivers going to attack the track? Like the yeah. track that we're going at Phoenix <laughs> is a very weird. unique. Like, imagine, imagine going to Fenway park and every time you played there, it was a different <laughs> surface where they're like, Oh, actually we're using, you know, we're using Field sand turf. in the infield yeah. now, and we're using, you know, it's going to be AstroTurf in the outfield. You're like, what? Why are we doing it? It's like, can we, can we not just leave it alone? Because exactly. it, it felt like it was pretty good the way that it was. It's going to put on its own show. Um, but that is a whole other thing, right? Michigan and this stretch of races that we've got coming up, uh, where so many people have already locked themselves into the playoffs now in the Cup Series, and we can focus there. Uh, it feels like the wild card was Indy. We still have one more wild card left with Daytona for that kind of last ditch 
But now we're starting to see guys like Alvarola, who locked himself in the playoffs, Denny, who has now locked himself in the playoffs, even after getting spun out. So that playoff field is now starting to stack up. Yeah, for sure. The the playoff field's getting there. Denny Hamlin, yeah, like you mentioned, locked himself in. There's two spots right now. Harvick has it, uh, with I believe, with a good finish this weekend and no new winner. He can lock himself in the playoffs to the point where it will just be Reddick versus Dylan and anybody else behind them who will get a must win, which is very likely at Daytona, what we've seen. Now, I'm not expecting a huge change. I know we'll be using the new package or well, it's not a new package. They're just reducing the speed a little bit, which I yeah. personally don't think will change anything. Uh, yeah. I didn't see much of the change really besides it just won't. to make a change. And, and honestly, really none, of, none of the teams, none of the drivers, none of the crew chiefs that I've talked to have felt like that's really going to affect yeah. anything either. Uh, this is going to be the same race at 195 miles an hour or 190 miles an hour that it was at 201 or 203. Uh, the difference is we're just going to reduce the chances of a liftoff, which we have now had at a few of these restrictor plate races. Yeah. So that's, you know, I'm all for making some safety advancements. So hopefully it does pay off. Hopefully we don't have anything, but obviously hopefully we have some great racing as well. So uh, the truck series playoffs do start this weekend at gateway Friday night. They had the media day today, got to speak to all of the drivers entering the playoffs. It's kind of a little bit different this year. We have a huge favorite, humongous favorite, John Arnimacek, who has dominated really everywhere. Uh, he did note that the few tracks where he felt like he hadn't done good at was where the Dakota, uh, Glenn, and the two dirt tracks, and you have none of those on the Truck Series playoff schedule. So he's definitely a favorite. Austin Hill has won the last two races. He's gone two in a row, and then you have Sheldon Creed, who's the defending champion. But other than that, uh, I don't know who your dark horse would be. My personal favorite would be Carson Hosevar is definitely someone to watch out for in these Truck Series playoffs. He has been hot uh, all season long, just getting consistent finishes. He's been close to that win a few times, and he did note that Darlington is coming up where he almost got it done. Uh, he's, he said today that he felt like he should have won that race if they didn't spend so many laps under caution. Felt like he could have won with his tires, with the race that he'd run. I mean, he was running top three all race. So I don't know if there's anyone else that you see as maybe a potential dark horse threat in the truck series playoffs? Well, I know going into the playoffs, and this is something you're going to hear me talk about every time we talk about playoffs here, is stage points. Uh, that's what this is. Uh, this is a game of stage points. So it's who can get stage points, um, regardless of where they are going into the standings here, um, where wherever they are in the playoff rankings right now, it's who do you think is going to be the biggest stage point earner? And trucks, the you got to go quick. And you got to go quick. So you got to be up there and running up front and staying up front for the first two segments. I mean, that alone can be the difference in you advancing or not. So when we get to the Xfinity playoffs and the depth of the field there and in the depth of the field in the truck series playoffs here, it's who do you think can run in the top 10 the whole race? Uh, that's what you got to run into. And, and usually that's not the person that made it in on the fringes. Um, I look at, you know, who can advance out of this round. So what, what are the tracks for them again? Because it's a little different from ours. Yeah, we got, we're starting Gateway Friday night. Uh, then you have Darlington and then you have Bristol. So it's a crop of uh, a little bit shorter tracks and obviously Darlington, very technical racetrack. So that is, you know, I look, I look at the, the leading candidates to make it to the end of this thing. I think uh, Todd Gilliland has run extremely, very well, extremely well. So for me, he is kind of like my long term pick to make it to the top four here. 
And then you got to pick, you know, out of the out of the stables, right? Probably is going to be one from each manufacturer. Realistically, you got to look at John Hunter Nemechek. You got to look at Sheldon Creed over in the Chevy camp. And then there's probably going to be a wild card, and, and for me, that's probably the Matt Crafton, right? Just the, the old vet that can probably get it done uh, for Thor Sport Racing as another one of those big teams, one of those powerhouses, kind of making it to the end of this. Uh, but this initial, excuse me, this initial setup, uh, I just look at people that can get stage points. Those guys that are going to be on the fringes having to use stage strategy uh, to to basically set themselves up to make the next rounds of the playoffs. So in trucks, those stages are usually so short, they don't really play into it as much. But when we see those cautions that come out with five to 10 laps to go before the stage ends, that's when those decisions are going to be, those are critical decisions, not made by drivers, made by the crew chiefs there. And I think everybody in the playoffs is going to have to be really aggressive going for those points. Yeah, and then the way these truck races go is with no qualifying. It's the same for each series. All the playoff drivers start at the front. So the top 10 will be the top 10 to start the race. So basically, you'd have to lose a spot uh, to not get a stage point, but it's about the amount of stage points that you get. So John, I love that, by the way. There's probably some people that would really complain about that. I actually think that is great. I think that is a great thing. You have earned that by making the playoffs. You should start up there at the front of the field. And again, what, what do we know from NASCAR racing? Really, where you start has very little to do with how you're going to end this race. So it would be an unfair advantage to spread them out throughout the field, clumping them together. That's the fairest way to do this. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have John Nemechek, who is 48 points above the cut line to start. And we know he's going to have very likely a very deep playoff run, if not a championship for sure. So around that cut line, though, to start, you have Crafton, who's only about three above Zane Smith, eight above Sheldon Creed, 10 above everyone behind John Hunter is within 20 points of each other. So it's a tight battle back there. It's going to be like you said, stage points are going to matter for sure. Sheldon Creed is the physical embodiment of a power hitter in Major League Baseball to me. Uh, he is a guy that is, for better or worse, swinging for the fences every time he gets in a race car. And I love, I mean, I think he's a absolute wheel man. Um, and that's why I'm just, I'm kind of banking on talent there and, and the depth of GMS, right? So we yeah. know how good GMS is. For me, he's one of those guys, he could go up there and swing and a miss at Gateway. And swing and a miss at uh, uh, at Darlington, but the, which he already won Darlington earlier this year, I believe. Uh, but then he could go to Bristol and win the race, right? Like he he is fast enough to win a race and just lock himself into the next round. Yeah. So that's the type of person that you look at advancing in the playoffs. Who do you think can run up front, get stage points? Who do you think can win a race and just jump this whole thing? Shelton's one of those. Oh, yeah. And it's it's the experience for sure. I mean, he's the guy that did it most recently, defending champion. He just yeah. did this whole round-around thing last year, did it perfectly, and won himself the title. Matt Crafton, who has multiple championships, he has the experience to get through. I mean, when he won his championships in the playoffs, he didn't even win a race. It's going to be hard probably do that this year with the with all the stage points playoff points he's already kind of starting only three above the cut um but the two guys below the cut right now are but has run well at gateway has run yes. well at gateway in the past so that's a good track for them yeah a track that some people here haven't 
gone to, or actually, I believe everyone on this playoff list has visited Gateway. Yes, everyone's visited Gateway. So it's a, it's a truck play, playoff field that has a lot of truck experience in it. I mean, I noticed this year, I almost forgot. This is Todd Gillen's fourth season. And this is his first time making the playoffs, and he has had a great run. He hasn't finished worse than seventh since his win at Circuit of the Americas, which has been a yeah. stretch of about five, six races. You yeah. know, John Hunter Nemechek was in the first two playoffs that ever existed back in 16, 17. Austin Hill's been at it for years now. Ben Rhodes, right. Sheldon Creed, defending champion. Yeah. We know and Austin that. Hill's another one there um, that I yeah. absolutely see advancing. You know, for me, there's about five or six of these guys that I look at and go, yeah, they could probably make it to the end of this. And Austin Hill's definitely in that group. Oh, yeah. And it looks like really the only rookie uh, as far as guy who really hasn't visited the tracks we're going to is Carson Osfar. He's the young guy in there that's, you know, really still trying to prove himself. He's had a really great season. Chandler Smith, this is actually going to be his third start at Gateway. Uh, he did very well his last two starts. And then Stuart Friesen has also kind of seasoned himself as a truck vet. So I think a very, very close field. Anything can happen. We know the true contenders. And I think that'll kind of lead us into making our picks here. We're going to do, we're going to do the final four picks uh at the beginning of the playoffs so when that comes by we'll probably look back on it back at the uh or we'll see if any of our drivers are limited at the first round we hope not but when we get to phoenix here we'll yeah do it yeah so uh we'll start with our our first four so yeah well that's all we'll do we'll do the pick the final four uh if we want to go just pick them all four at once if you want to go first i'll give you the honors yeah so for me now you know uh looking at the whole field here uh, I, I think Gilliland is a pick. I, I think he has the consistency that they have shown running up front. Um, he's one. Uh, I'm looking at John Hunter. You got to pencil him in with the speed that they've had all year and win a race his Creed as well um, out of the Chevy camp. So there's three. And then I'm going to actually go with Austin Hill. Uh, Austin Hill is a guy that has, has done it before, has now won the last race in the truck series. Um I think the speed that Hattori has shown, uh, especially here of late, I got to look at them with a little momentum heading into the playoffs and a lot of confidence. Yep. Uh, those are some good picks, probably along the lines right where I was going to go. I'll probably change up one of them just so we're a little bit different. But uh, I'll start with St. John Honor for sure uh, in my final four. I think it shouldn't be a problem for him to get there. That second round is very interesting because you have Vegas, Talladega right in the middle. I mean, that could deter your championship hopes quickly if you get involved in something there. And then Martinsville, which was no holds barred for the truck series last year. Grant Enfinger won his way in. Um, unfortunately, he's not in the playoffs this year, but uh, was great to see him get there last year. So John Hunter is my first pick. Second pick, I'd have to go with Austin Hill. He's been on a great hot streak, had that year a few years ago where he didn't get it done, really felt like he should have. And he's won on two gritty tracks so far. I mean, getting a win at Watkins Glen, the road course, getting a win at Knoxville. I mean, Knoxville was just crazy anyways, but they were really, they locked themselves in the playoffs on points way before the playoffs started. So they were very consistent. And I think they do have a good amount of playoff points as well to rely on winning a lot of stages. So I would pick him uh, with John Hunter for sure. My third pick will be Todd Gilland. They have been amazing. He feels like they're at the best spot that they are. Uh, so far and my fourth pick I want to go with the wild card here I'm gonna leave Sheldon Creed out I wanted okay. to put him in I wanted okay. to put him in okay. but 
for some reason, I, I was thinking of who I would switch out. So I'm not the same as yours. And I would pick Sheldon Creed because I don't know. I just GMS this year. Does, is he able to, to fight through the end? I don't know. But my, my fourth guy here. Oh, he's absolutely boom or bust. Oh, yeah. and, and I understand that. I, I'm just betting on talent there. Oh, yeah. And GMS to me is still one of the premier teams in the series. They, they still have to be considered that. So you're kind of begging on that. So I'm going to go big wild card here. I was thinking about Ben Rhodes, but Thor sport towards the end of the year, I feel like just, it's a trend. They don't, they kind of, they kind of downgrade a little bit besides Matt Crafton. I'm going to go my fourth final by this is, yeah, this is definitely wild card. I'm going to go Carson Hosevar. Okay. No, that's kind of uh yeah, Well, just give, give me your thought process here. Yeah. So my thought process looking at this playoff field, uh, Chandler Smith could definitely be a possibility. I don't know about freezing Zane Smith. I kind of put it in the same category as why I didn't, uh, would take Sheldon Creed out because of GMS, but Carson Osfar, when I look at the upcoming tracks, I mean, this team seems to keep getting better and better and nice Motorsports did this before, uh, with Ross Chastain, who I think they share some similar driver traits as well. Uh, they did this before where nobody had really thought they would be a championship favorite and made it all the way to the final four. Um, things are different now for Nice Motorsports, but they've obviously improved their program a lot with Carson Hosfar and that team. And I look at these first three tracks, Gateway, Darlington, Carson Hosfar almost won at Darlington, uh, and then Bristol as well. He's a guy that excels on the short tracks because yeah. that's really all he has done before this. Super late models all over the place. Then you look at that second round, Vegas would be the only one I would question how much power is under that hood in the 42, you know, is it a good race for them? Talladega and Martinsville is where I think there are two tracks where he could. But you got to remember Vegas in the truck series is very different than a lot of those mile and a half that they go to Vegas. And it was very early in the year this year. A lot. It has so I'm looking much at last grip. year's results. Yeah. It has so much grip there at Vegas. Um, basically they're going around there wide open. It's almost like a miniature plate race going around there in Vegas. Track position is so critical. Um, yeah, I, I look at that as more of a wild card in their series than, than in any of the top three series. So yeah. look, I think you can make this case, RJ. I'm not blasting this pick at all because there's absolutely <laughs> well, a, a version of this where he runs well at Martinsville. They get a good run at Talladega. Talladega, to me, would be the critical one there. Yes. Uh, in, in all of it, where it would be, if I'm Carson, they look at that like they need to get up there in the top 10 and they got to get stage points. And that puts you in a really dangerous position when you're there at Talladega um, in, that, in that situation. But they would just have to do it. Um, so they can get over that hump. They have had enough speed at Darlington earlier in the year at short tracks, like you've said, yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Again, what are you trying to do here? What's the goal? Well, you're trying to beat three, you're trying to knock out three people here in this first round. That's the goal, right? It's 10 in the truck series field. So we're trying to knock out three here in this first round. You just can't be in the bottom three. I think it's, is it two for the first round? I think it's, is it two? It goes two and then it goes four to let me oh, final four. That's a big, yeah. well, so really, if you're, Car right, if you're Carson here, you're looking at this and going, all right, we just can't be in the bottom two. And that's really more about eliminating mistakes more than anything else. Yep. No loose wheels, no crashes. Um, yes, stage points definitely are going to play a factor. But to me, stage points play a bigger factor in that second round than they do the first one. Because the first one's just going to eventually, 
out of those 10 drivers that we're talking about, somebody's going to wreck. Somebody's going to get caught up in two wrecks in the three races because let's say they get in a wreck, right? What does it make them more likely to do? No different than a football team when they fall behind by two touchdowns, they're going to start throwing the ball more. Yeah. Well, you wreck in that first race. Well, now you're like, oh my gosh, we got to do even more to try to make up for it. You're going to be pushing even harder. That makes it more likely for you to wreck again. So it might not come down to stage points in that first round. But it's definitely going to come down to that in the second round, the decider of getting there. So that's it, right? You just try to beat two people in the first round. To me, the people that I'm looking at and going, well, right now they're going to have to show more. That's Chandler Smith and that's Stuart Friesen, right? Yeah. They have they have looked like at times this year a little out of sorts. And they have made it in, Chandler, by the skin of his teeth there, making it into the field. But they're probably going to have to show a little bit more here in these first three races of the playoffs. For sure. It's going to be big for them. Two Toyota camp drivers with uh, Chandler Smith being at KBM and Stuart Friesen with that 52 team powered by Toyota. So we got the truck series playoffs, like you said, this weekend, still a little bit to the Xfinity playoffs and then the cup playoffs coming up in just a matter of weeks uh, with Michigan this weekend and Daytona a week away from that. So I wanted to just a point that I thought of real quick, kind of date back. I know the the Indianapolis TV ratings had just come out um, and they were down very significantly. Now it's different to compare them from this year to last year. They were down significantly from the Brickyard 400 last year, which obviously I look at all the TV ratings last year, a year ago, and it's very different situations. A lot of more people were at home, a lot less sports were going on, things like that. But when I look at this Indianapolis weekend, I know it's been a comparison. People are comparing the oval. Uh, should we be on the oval? Should we be on the road course? And, you know, I, I'm just, just someone the whole time that I really thought uh, the Cup Series should stay on the oval. But what if the Xfinity Series was on the road course like we had a year before? I was really a big fan of that because it, it, it glorified the Xfinity race. Like everyone, we're still talking about the Xfinity race that happened last year. And everyone still remembers the Cup race that happened on the Oval last year. It's not the most entertaining race in the world. Not every race is going to be the most entertaining in the world. But I felt like just the prestige of the race felt like it. It should have stayed there. The, the, the Cup Series road course race was a great racing product before all the, the, the chaos happened, which has been, this, been the story of a lot of races this year. But I felt like it was a good race before all that happened. But I'm still, I'm still torn on it. I really still think the Cup Series should be on the oval. But why not keep the Xfinity Series on the road course and the IndyCar Series on the road course on the same weekend You know, like we did before? That's, that's just my kind of thought of it. I've, I've kind of been back and forth on that, especially this week. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably splitting the middle on this. Uh, yeah. What I will tell you as somebody that was there in Indy, the fans are showing up for the Indy car races. Uh, that's it. Uh, it's Indy for a reason. And they care about Indy cars there. They really do. Um, and that was probably the biggest crowd um, that we had had at an Xfinity series race all year. Um, it felt like a really, really big, engaged crowd watching our race. And why was that? Well, it was right after the IndyCar race. And everybody was showing up for that. Um, so the overall theme of the weekend here, trying out this IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader, it works. It's a great idea. It's great for Indianapolis. The IndyCar teams love it. That's their hometown, right? All of them are based right there in Indy. It's basically like racing Charlotte for us. Yeah. So they love it too. They get a paycheck and they get to race at Indy. 
they're cool. So we look at it on our side and go, how can we frame the weekend best for NASCAR? I think having the Xfinity Series there is good. But what I would tell you is probably it's not as good as having the Cup Series there, right? Um, yeah. I love the thing that we get to race at Indianapolis in the Xfinity Series. I mean, it is it is a privilege every time we go in there. And we put on a great show, just like we do everywhere else. But I would come back at you here, RJ, and say, maybe the right combo here is to run the cup race on the road course Saturday and then the Brickyard 400 on Sunday. Maybe that's the right answer, right? A double header for NASCAR that also involves IndyCar as almost a support series in a way. And now the haulers going there to Indy with a road course car in it and a Indianapolis car in it. You have qualifying and you run the race on Sunday. You, you know, have the the road course set up on Saturday and you run that. And that probably that probably works. And when we talk about the expansion of the schedule for the NASCAR Cup Series, which they have talked about, potentially going up to 40 races or 38 races, can Indianapolis be in the mix for that? Yeah, I absolutely think so, especially with Roger Pinsky um, as the owner of, of IMS. And I think a road course, big oval combo along with IndyCar seems to make a lot of sense for a ticket because I'll tell you the atmosphere there this year, it was probably the best atmosphere I've ever had at Indianapolis. It, it was really incredible. And I think a lot of that is due to IndyCar being there at the home of IndyCar and also just what a great job that, that IMS did promoting the event. And I think it lived up to it, right? We can sit here and nitpick the race on, on that, the road course. Look, it was an entertaining race. It, it was a good race. Did it get a little goofy at the end of it? Yeah. Uh, do I think fans are going to come back next year? Absolutely. If I have to pick one or the other, if that's the decision that I'm having to choose right now is do I go with the road course or do I would go with the oval? Well, traditional Tommy Joe is going to go with the Oval because I feel like the Rickyard 400 was a crown jewel of NASCAR, right? But what I understand from a business standpoint is it wasn't really selling tickets. And that that Roval yesterday sold tickets. There was a big crowd, an engaged crowd. They had a lot of fun with it. I guess the real question here is, RJ, is the problem that that – the Brickyard 400 weekend didn't have IndyCar attached to it beforehand, <laughs> right? This insistence in being the only show there. And clearly, the Indianapolis population and the local population there, the race fans in that area, are like, eh, that was cool for a while, but really, we're, we're showing up for IndyCar. That's what we're really here supporting. Yeah, so... I enjoyed it. It was a great week and the atmosphere was great. And I'm sure with all the fans being in the infield too, of course, with the road course and everything like that, IndyCar really definitely helped it uh, at Indianapolis. Just like even if, even if IndyCar came to the Charlotte Roval, you know, and we had like a, a combined weekend there, I feel like that would be fun. And you'd see a lot of NASCAR atmosphere there because it's at Charlotte. So I feel like it'd be the same thing. So look, they're in the business of selling tickets, RJ. That's what this is about. That's what we want the tracks to be about. Sell tickets. 
promote an event. This is a great idea for an event in the home of IndyCar, and you bring the NASCAR guys in. Great. And clearly the fans responded to that. So that's a hit. I'd say that's a positive. Almost more than any other track that we've gone to this year, the tying in of IndyCar along with NASCAR for this weekend clearly boosted ticket sales, clearly boosted um, engagement with the racing community there around in uh, the Indy area. And I don't see that going away for a while. And what I would expect here is that IndyCar and NASCAR wind up doing more of this at other tracks. And that's good. That is good for the racing fans. They're going to get more value out of a ticket. And it's a really great show for us. And it's something that really kind of an old school feel of racing where you're seeing drivers from different series interacting with each other, hanging out, giving props to each other, maybe more crossover for guys like Kyle Larson that we see run so many different stuff. Is there going to be an opportunity in a weekend for a guy like that to run an IndyCar and a stock car? I think that's good for fans, right? And that's good for both sports. Yeah, exactly. So we're talking about, you know, how great it is to have Indy back, normal stuff back. I'll be the negative guy here that the news just came out of the new, you know, COVID precautions for NASCAR. Uh, I'm just kind of, I've just kind of been briefly reading it over here the last three minutes because it was just, I guess, uh, sent out to everybody. So I guess there's going to be just from what I'm getting here. Uh, I don't know if they had told you before or something like that. I mean, we all kind of saw this it. Is, this is going to be a live reaction podcast here. Live uh, reaction on the podcast. So new uh, stuff uh, looks like there's uh, I'm, I'm looking at the media one. They won't be media will not be permitted to access team haulers or garage. So there'll be no media, no fans being allowed by the haulers or the garage stalls says driver intros will be modified. It, is, it didn't say they were going away. It said they yeah, were they'll probably just modified. do them at the cars, which we've done before. Probably. That's what they were doing earlier in the year. I remember yeah. the race for the one of the races that I at least went to. Um, then it says just planned contact points, stuff like that. Um, try and do uh, grid access for guests has been suspended until further notice. Uh, strict enforcement, mask wearing in enclosed areas. That was... That was kind of said, I believe, a few weeks back. Masks indoors. Uh, teams will have assigned times to staggered entry into garages. That would affect you. I don't know if that has been a thing, if there's still been staggered times lately, or has it just been kind of free? No, it's kind of we've all just entered at the same time again. So we'll go back to a staggered entry, and that's honestly, yeah. RJ, the staggered entry was better because yeah. for teams, when we get into tech, Really, you're kind of sitting around waiting to go into tech a lot of the time. And it's like, well, why not stagger the entry so we're all not all just sitting around? And, and there's a, there should be a um, kind of an implied benefit there. What I would actually say should happen, <laughs> this is me, right? But this is also a lazy version of me, so bear with me here. It's like if you were first in points, you should be able to go into the garage last, Right. That basically you can come in later, and that's like a little perk of being higher up in points. But in fact, it actually works the opposite. If you're higher up in points, it's like you in the top five go in first, and then the next group comes in about 15 minutes later, and it, it's basically staggered about every 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, and that's fine. It works out fine. Um, I don't think anybody had a problem with that. The biggest change here from looking at this as well here. 
Um, really, this is this is terrible news for sponsors. Yeah, is really what this is. This is a uh, a real gut punch for sponsors that want to attend these events and that we've had in the pit box with us yeah. at at Indianapolis. Well, I think so it says no additional passes anymore. Yeah, so we're not. Yeah, guests not allowed at the haulers, garages, or grids, and drivers can't visit the suites. So, yeah, that that's the part of this that is uh, really damning more than anything else. And uh, NASCAR's got to do what they got to do. Um, obviously, we're still dealing with repercussions of the pandemic and people getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated, right? So we're still dealing with all this. And trust me, you're not going to hear me and RJ talk about the depths of co- the COVID-19 pandemic. All right. So everybody just settled out. We're not doing this live reacting to some. Okay. But what I'm telling you is for us as the teams, uh, the most impactful thing of the entire year was how it affected our interactions with sponsors, because for teams, so many teams, big and small, the best thing that we have to sell is that on-track interaction up close with a really visceral event as a little bit of a uh, hospitality offering to sponsors, right? This is something unique they cannot get anywhere else. They can go buy a suite at another sports game, right? And they can buy a courtside ticket, uh, but sit. they can't sit on the bench with the coach uh, during an NBA game. And they can basically do that during a NASCAR race on the pit box with our crew chief while the race is going on. They can listen in to team communications with the radio. They can have a lug nut come flying off a car and land a foot away from them uh, during a pit stop. That is one of the biggest things we have to sell. And now that is going away uh, for the foreseeable future, which I assume will probably be the remainder of the year here. And that is really, really a bummer because we were already making plans for Bristol, a huge race for AAN adjusters and my sponsor there at, uh, in the Knoxville area. It, we were talking about Darlington uh, with uh, Capital City Hauling and what a big race that was going to be uh, for them uh, down in South Carolina at Darlington. We were talking about Margaret Rebellion and the two races that I've got coming up with them at Las Vegas and Texas and who, what guests we could get to fly there and how much fun they just had. So this is absolutely a wet blanket of epic proportions to the sponsorship structure of NASCAR. Uh, that is the main issue, right? And of course, let me talk about the fans for a minute. Yeah, this is probably the most excited I've ever seen fans in my racing career is over the last few months of getting to do this. And now that's kind of going back away. That that same interaction that we had there is is now going away. And it feels so strange because it comes right after a weekend where I'm t- I'll probably interact with more people than I've ever interacted with at, at a racetrack, right? And now there's probably some people that would say, that's bad. I, I get that. And at the same time, we just did it. 
And now this is changing the very next week as we go to Michigan. Um, so it does affect the teams here. It, it does. This idea uh, that I'm sure there are probably plenty of people that are going to chirp in the comments on Twitter and all this stuff is like, well, this is, you know, safety and this doesn't really affect the teams, right? They're just having to wear masks and this is really affecting the fan experience where they're not going to be able to go down in the, oh, it does affect the teams. This affects the teams uh, much more than just a safety precaution, which I get, we got to make that first and foremost. I'm not sitting in these meetings with NASCAR. These are extremely tough decisions. And I know they're weighing all this, RJ. Like I'm not just beating them up. I'm just telling you my first instinct when I read this is, oh, shit, now I've got to call all of my sponsors in the next 30 minutes and tell them to cancel basically all of their plans for the rest of the year because this basically just blocked them out. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, I know how much it is, like you just described, what it means for sponsors, for guests showing up to the track. We talked about when things were opening back up. Uh, you were excited. And you were letting guests back in the track. I mean, we, we've we seen, I mean, I know Mark Rebellion was just with you guys this weekend at Indy. Uh, the uh, whole Super Mega thing was awesome at Charlotte, having them there, and I'm sure plenty of others for so many teams. And yeah, when I look at this, for sure, I knew it was coming. I was just talking about it uh, with people today. Um about how Daytona upcoming was supposed to be, you know, the big weekend that I was going to, this would have been the first uh, track. Uh, the first time I'd be kind of applying myself as media. Yeah. I was really looking forward to walking around the garage area, seeing everybody that ever since I've been to the garages at Daytona, I've only been in there one time for just a little bit. Uh, it was, you know, 2020 where I didn't really, you know, nobody really knew me. And I, and now fast forward a year and a half later, it's been crazy. And I was looking forward to seeing everybody seeing Martin's Motorsports, all the Xfinity teams. And man, I mean, I, I knew it was coming. Um, I know there's still, I mean, it can change, you know, I don't, I think the only way it would change in the next two weeks is locking down more stuff. So um, I'm trying to I'll probably read back over this more and see what's going on but it looks like i mean for for media members it looks like you're kind of allowed to be on the grid it looks like just at a distanced way but I, man i was i was excited man i'm still excited but i know there was a lot of things i was looking forward to doing hanging out with drivers crew members uh filming some stuff and things like that i was really really looking forward to it so I know it'll still be there. I'm excited. I don't know what'll change in the next few weeks, but damn, I mean, sponsor. Yeah. Like you said, it's not just, it's not just the fans, it's sponsors, it's the teams. It's, this is uh, definitely big news that, uh, yeah, like you said, we just had to live react to on the podcast. So, man. Yeah. So this is where um, this is all right. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read the protocols. Cause I want to make sure that we're getting this out there. Yeah. Right. I want to make sure that we're putting, 100% accuracy here, and, and that I'm not misstepping and missaying or misinterpreting any of this. So I'm going to let everybody kind of get their own, own uh, conclusions from this. So it says that NASCAR will strictly enforce the current guest pass allocations. There will be no additional passes for NASCAR teams, tracks, drivers, or partners. So to me... Current guest pass allocations, no additional passes for NASCAR teams, tracks, drivers, or partners. So that means they're getting rid of the guest passes or that they're going to enforce the current allocation. Because like before I go diving off the deep end here, <laughs> that I won't be able to get any, any sponsors in. But then the following thing is 
guests cannot access team haulers or garage stalls. Yeah. Okay. So if I get you a guest pass where you can't come to the pit area and you can't come to my hauler. So where are you going? He's going to be hanging out in the infield. So I'm assuming that really what we're talking about here, RJ, and I just wanted to put that out there first here before saying it it looks like what that means is that there will be no more guest passes, right? That's what I think that means that strictly enforcing the guest pass allocation means there are no guest passes for drivers. There are no guest passes for teams. Um, They're going to do that for like track personnel is basically what they're going to use those passes for. So that's going to be a little weird. Um, Yeah. Bummer. Uh, Right. Uh, So, I mean, this is, they're they're trying to limit contact points. They're limiting victory lane stuff. Um, There's a list of about six or seven things there, but the main thing that I wanted to look to, to say to everybody here on the podcast before we wrap things up here. um, Yeah. It seems like, we now have no more guest passes. Uh, so that was a, a very little sweet spot uh, for about 10 or whatever weeks there, 10, 12 weeks there, where we got to enjoy life uh, back to normal. And now we are back to it being weird again. Uh, but apparently fans are still going to be showing up to these races. They just don't want them around essential personnel. Yeah. I, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Yeah. Uh, but my heart goes out to the people that have made financial commitments to my race team thinking that they're going to be able to interact with this. And now we're not. Uh, so that obviously changes um, how I'm going to have to address that with them uh, over the next uh, few hours here that I'm probably going to spend on the phone. Yeah. Uh, very unfortunate. Cause yeah, I mean, more than, more than just the viewers. No, I mean, sponsors, there's so much more than that goes into other than just, you know, putting your company on the hood or corner panel, or like Brandon Brown said, the rear end of the race car. Right. So yeah, there's a lot, lot more to that. So lots affected by, by this move and we'll see, it can change at any time. And it can also, you know, like I said, get more locked down at any time. So uh, regardless, yeah, it does look like there's no really changes for fans, just like you said, uh, the essential personnel, because every track still, there's been no announcements of changes from full capacity. It's it's still full capacity fans. This is really just a NASCAR decision, because I think the fans kind of goes by the tracks, the states. Uh, this looks like kind of a NASCAR decision. So we'll just have to see how it pans out the rest of the year. And think know. about the context here, just real quick. NASCAR sitting here going, okay, we can't force anybody to get vaccinated, right? They're not going to do that. They have, they have never done that. They have encouraged people to get vaccinated, but they have never forced it upon any teams. And I think they still want to ride that line where they're not going to do that because that would be really throwing themselves into a political ring there that they definitely don't want to get into. Yeah. Okay. If they do that, they know that there's probably going to be a big chunk of the people working in the garages that are unvaccinated. Let's just say that it's exactly what the national average is, which I believe, don't quote me on this, but is around like 30 to 50% unvaccinated. All right, fine. You're just going to let them interact with large groups of people because what happens when one guy gets COVID in the garage? As we know, or girl, we know that's going to spread. It's going to definitely spread faster to the people that aren't vaccinated. Uh, So, 
I think NASCAR here is limiting some exposure for the people that are putting on these shows each and every week. And they're looking at it like, all right, we got 12 races to go in this thing. <laughs> we are coming down to the finish line. And hopefully all of this is better in six months from now uh, when we're kicking off next year's Daytona 500. But for right now, we just have to play it safe with the people putting on the show, putting on not just the show for the fans in the stands, but the TV show that we have so much money riding on here down the stretch. So I understand the logic here, but you're not going to hear any of the teams sit here and applaud this decision. Nobody is going to be applauding this decision from inside the garage area. It Basically, everybody is going to be a little irritated. Um, maybe not necessarily at NASCAR. I think just at the whole situation to begin with. Right, RJ? I think we're all just tired of this. And the way that it affects the sponsors is the first thing on our minds. Yeah, for sure. So we'll, uh, I, I know you got to get to that later, unfortunately. And then we got some, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll know more by the time we record our next episode next week. So we'll see how this weekend at Michigan goes with this new protocols. And then that'll probably lead all up to Daytona, uh, in a few weeks. So, uh, as far as this week's schedule, we know we have uh, Gateway Friday night, 9 o'clock on FS1. The IndyCar series is also there. If you enjoyed IndyCar racing this weekend, you'll get to see another sort of IndyCar uh, NASCAR crossover at Gateway. They're both running IndyCar, I believe, run Saturday night. Then you have Xfinity, Michigan. Looks like 3.30 uh, p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. And then the Cup race. Three three o'clock p.m. Eastern on NBCSN on Sunday. So, Michigan International Speedway, kind of like I said earlier, a little bit. I, I guess what you'd call it a normal rate. You never know. You never know in 2021. I mean, we could have a 20 car pileup on the first lap in Michigan. You never know. But for me, this just feels like a normal uh, oval track. Maybe nothing crazy will happen, and we'll just have a nice, basic, decent, uh, hopefully fun <laughs> race. I don't know I'm how not, to put it. I'm not holding my breath, RJ. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just been a last. It's been a crazy uh, four weeks of NASCAR. So maybe we're looking to calm thing because we have we have Daytona to cut off the playoffs, and there's probably going to be a whole lot of stuff that is going to happen that weekend. So we're maybe we'll just calm it down. This kind of a little bridge. Maybe they did this on purpose. They're like we're going to put Michigan as the second <laughs> to last race, so nothing crazy will happen, and then we we'll go. We got to let you catch your breath for a week. Yeah. We <laughs> if we do, Daytona. we do. So. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Drivers Meeting. Thanks to Bet Online and Balance Sevens for sponsoring. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.